0: Good morning. Good morning, my name is John Sopeka, and I oversee community life and discipleship here at Zions Fellowship. So this means that I partner with each and every single one of you as you grow as disciples of Jesus. More specifically, I have the joy of encouraging and exhorting you to make disciples of Jesus of others as well. And this morning, I have the joy of continuing our three-week series on encouragement. Encouragement and puppies. These two go together like peanut butter and jelly. I've thought a lot more about giving good encouragement lately because my family recently got a puppy named Mia. Now, Mia is an adorable mini golden doodle. She could probably get away with murder, given how cute she is. But Emily, Ellie, and I have agreed that we want to train her to be the best dog she can be. To help her reach her God-given potential as a dog. I know that sounds a bit ridiculous, that's fine, but we do want her to actually be a good pup. So... Emily, my wife, and my daughter Ellie, in particular, have worked hard to give me a frequent affirmation to reinforce her good behaviors. I would go as far as to say that they've even encouraged her and exhorted her in the right proportions whenever it was needed. Now, how does this kind of encouragement compare to the encouragement in the Bible? Well, for starters, it's not like telling your dog, good girl, after she obediently sits. Close, but no cigar. Biblical encouragements, also, it's not, it's not like giving your dog a belly rub, reward, because she patiently and quietly waited for the next directive. It's not quite it. God-given encouragement is more like what happens when we grab a leash to take Mia out on a walk. Her entire disposition changes. She immediately has new levels of boundless energy. She's renewed, refreshed, invigorated into joyful excitement. But get this, true encouragement is essentially divine refreshment that renews, refreshes, invigorates you and me. And best of all, God brings this kind of refreshment to us through ordinary Christians like you and me. So today we will glean more insights into how God brings refreshment through his people. We'll look at Colossians 1 verses 28 through 2 verses 7. And we'll see the movement of encouragement from refreshment to refinement to rejoicing. So turn with me on your sheets or in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 through 2 verses 7. You can follow along as I read from God's word. Colossians 1 verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray and ask God to refine and refresh our hearts as we look to his precious word together. Father, we marvel that you are the God of encouragement. You give encouragement to us freely, joyfully. But if your spirit does not cause us to gladly receive these truths from your word this morning, then my efforts are in vain. So God, would you strengthen us? Would you comfort us? Would you confront us from your word this morning? You intimately know all of our needs. So would you speak words of encouragement to us this morning? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians 1, verses 28 through 2, verse 7, highlights a movement in encouragement from refreshment to refinement to rejoicing. So first we'll see... The surprising delivery of encouragement. We'll see how Paul unexpectedly brings about divine refreshment. And second, we will see six fruits of encouragement. Six things that Paul expects to see result from an encouraged heart. We'll look now at verses 28 through verse 2. Once again, and here we see the surprising delivery of encouragement. Paul says this Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of God's energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great. A struggle I have for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, that your heart would be encouraged. How does Paul purposefully seek to encourage the hearts of these Christians in Colossae? In other words, how does Paul try to deliver divine refreshment? How does he hope to bring divine refreshment to them? Not in the way we might expect. The surprising delivery mechanism of encouragement is this. Paul's treasuring of Jesus. By cherishing Jesus in all aspects of his life, Paul encourages their hearts in sum, treasuring Jesus encourages the hearts of believers. We'll see four specific evidences from this text that link Paul's treasuring of Jesus with the encouragement he expectantly hopes God will provide his readers. First, consider Paul, the messenger. Paul lived the kind of life That communicated and demonstrated and exalted in the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus was his greatest treasure and his greatest joy. Paul lived a life of intense suffering. He faced physical persecutions we can hardly begin to comprehend. He had all the reasons in the world to be constantly discouraged. He often was. And yet, as he suffered, he rejoiced in his sufferings, believing that spreading the truth about the gospel, about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, was better than any temporary physical pain or consequence he might face. Paul was empowered by God's Spirit, and he worked hard to see not-yet-Christians come to see the beauty of Jesus at any cost. He worked hard to see Christians savor Jesus as their savior. And he worked hard to see Christians sing of Jesus' beauty and majesty and supremacy in their lives. Paul was jealous to see God's people move towards maturity in Jesus. At all times, at any cost. You might remember a spit from last week. It's a marvelous and breathtaking idea to look for specific and personal instances of transformation in a person. When you consider Paul's life, what do you see? Paul was transformed powerfully by God's grace. When we look at his life, his life's example, He actually wanted to use his own life to spread encouragement, pointing to his own life, a life that actually pointed to Jesus. Paul, the messenger, clearly and rightly prized Jesus above all other things. And Paul rightly and clearly believes his life model of prizing Jesus would bring about encouragement. Do you know how greatly I struggle for you? Be encouraged. Like Paul, we can live a life where we continually show that Jesus is our greatest joy. Our lives point to the beauty of Jesus when people see that we truly find our greatest joy and hope and peace in Christ. Do you want to be an encouragement to others? If so, treasure Jesus cherish Jesus, delight in Jesus, that encourages hearts. Cling to Jesus, find fresh hope, fresh joy, peace, purpose, strength in him today. As other believers see that in your life, expressed in how you live and how you think and what you feel, and what you prioritize, they will be encouraged. If you are not yet a Christian, Jesus would be honored and magnified if you called out to him for help, for a new heart that cherishes him. Second, let's consider Paul's struggles, his message. His message, his struggles, further prove just how deeply Paul treasures Jesus. There are a lot of things in life that we ourselves can find full obsession with that can fully consume our attention and our efforts. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are neutral. And Paul was a man rightly consumed by verse 28. Paul wanted to proclaim Jesus at every opportunity. He wanted to warn everyone and wisely teach everyone so that those who heard his teaching would grow and move towards maturity in Jesus. He wanted them and us to progressively experience sanctification, to increasingly look like Jesus, to more deeply enjoy all of the magnificent perfections in Jesus. And Paul worked at this with a greater intensity than Michael Phelps did in his fanatical pursuit of gold medals. God's Spirit miraculously energized Paul, powerfully enabling Paul to strenuously work towards this goal, the increasing maturation of God's people. And this is so precious to God And therefore, it is precious to Paul, should be precious to you and me as well. This is not a zero-sum game. We want to see each other, our brothers and sisters, grow in the Lord. So in verse 1, when Paul writes that he wants these Christians to know just how greatly he struggles for them, he wants them to see how precious they are to him and to God. He wants them to know that he personally cares about their continued transformation in Christ. And then Paul's care and Paul's concern echoes God's. Through his care, Paul wants them to recall that God deeply cares about them as well. Because Paul treasures Jesus... He treasures God's people and therefore he is jealous for God's people to know this, that he greatly struggles for them. This message of Paul's struggles serve as strong evidence that Paul treasures Jesus. And in treasuring Jesus, he encourages hearts. Paul affectionately yearns to see God's grace continue to transform God's people. This is not a normal desire. This supernatural yearning comes from God and from God alone. Upon seeing and upon hearing of Paul's struggles, the Colossian Christians must surely be refreshed. They are strengthened and they're comforted as though by God himself. They remember God really loves his people. God gives his people leaders. Leaders who truly love them. Who are jealous to see them mature and grow. And ZF, you have been given godly leaders who love you. Who adore you who yearn to see you mature in Christ. Praise God. Thank God for the gift of leaders who truly care for you. Their care is evidence that God cares for you. How precious is that? Third, we must consider Paul's intended recipients. Christians in Colossae, Laodicea, and beyond. His long list of recipients further demonstrates that Paul treasures Christ. Paul does not only want the Christians in Colossae to be encouraged by his life example, by his struggles. Paul also wants the Christians, the next town over in Laodicea, to be encouraged as well. And perhaps best of all, Paul wants to encourage everyone who has not yet met him face to face. Incredibly, that includes you and me. Why does Paul mention these other groups of people? The Laodiceans and the people he has not yet met. It is quite simple, actually. A heart that prizes Jesus longs for others to see him prized. Our own joy is incomplete until another joins with us in our joy. This is Paul's all-consuming desire and this should be ours as well. Jesus must be known and treasured by every human across the globe. That people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation would find salvation, hope, joy, peace, comfort, truth, identity, and meaning in Christ. Because Paul treasures Jesus, he wants others to value Jesus in the same way. He wants others to live for Jesus like him. And because God has transformed Paul's heart to zealously treasure Jesus, he desires for others to experience the same transformation. Paul treasured Jesus. And in treasuring Jesus, he encourages our hearts. Now, I want to share a massively important caveat. We've spent a fair bit of time looking at Paul's example, the way he prizes Jesus. But before we try to imitate his example, we must remember that we are not like Paul in some very significant ways. None of us are apostolic messengers who received direct divine revelation and commissioning. None of us will ever write letters to churches that provide divine revelation. It is highly unlikely that we will ever have a Damascus Road-like encounter with Jesus. It's also highly unlikely that we will ever publicly craft prayers as theologically rich as Paul. It's highly unlikely any of us will ever have a platform anywhere near the size of Paul's. And that's a good thing. Especially considering the broad impact Paul has today through his writings and his life example. Paul's life is aspirationally inspiring and challenging but in some ways to me at least it feels crushing. It's kind of like Superman inviting us to fly up in the air with him. We are not like Paul and yet there is good news like Paul We are filled, if you are a Christian, by the very same Spirit of God. We have been given divine revelation, God's Word. So we are commissioned as messengers of divine refreshment today. We may not and absolutely should not write new scriptures but we can write notes of encouragement to other believers. We can send a text message to the person God randomly puts on our hearts. We may not have visions or dreams, but we can walk faithfully with Jesus day after day. We may never publish a book on prayer, but we can be the kind of people who say they will pray for someone and then actually do it. And through our own life example, in our daily thoughts, Feelings and actions throughout the mundane, ordinary parts of life, we can regularly proclaim the supremacy of Jesus. Our lives can show that we too treasure Jesus above all else to our spouses, to our kids, to our grandchildren, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co workers, to anyone and to everyone in every interaction. And like Paul, may we all treasure Jesus. And in our God-empowered treasuring, may God encourage the hearts of those around us. So how exactly did Paul seek to encourage the hearts of the believers in Colossae? By his example of treasuring Jesus in his message he sends of encouragement. Like the Colossians, I trust we have been encouraged and been challenged by Paul's example, by his struggles in particular. When someone treasures Jesus, hearts are encouraged. But what happens next? Where do we go from here? What does an encouraged heart actually look like? What does an encouraged heart do So we see an encouraged heart begins to treasure Jesus afresh. And we're not surprised to see Paul list a diverse array of fruits that result from encouragement. So together we'll consider briefly six of these fruits. And I say only six because the positive impact of an encouraged heart is staggering. And the consequences and the challenges that flow from a discouraged heart are Alarming, perhaps even concerning. Now, this does not mean it is wrong to be discouraged. Trust me when I say that I am often there. I am far more like Eeyore than most of you realize. No, it can be perfectly understandable, reasonable, and normal to be discouraged, to be deeply discouraged, even for an extended amount of time, whether due to tragic loss deep suffering, heavy sorrows, or for just being a glass half full kind of person. Even Paul spoke of being utterly burdened beyond his strength to the point of desperation. Have you ever felt like Paul? It simply may not be bad or wrong, shameful or sinful to be deeply discouraged. But it is probably Not best to stay there forever. As my wife likes to say, God is in control. He is still good. And it's okay if things are hard right now. Still, we should be aware of the powerful impact that discouragement has in shaping and even warping our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Think of it like this. Encouragement is not just honey for a sore throat. Encouragement is not an attempt to shrug off a bullet wound by slapping on a band-aid. And encouragement is not a vaccine that merely reduces the severity of the challenges associated with a discouraged heart. Nor does encouragement guarantee prevention of future discouragement. Encouragement is more like this. It's more like the paddles of a defibrillator in the right hands empowered by God's electrifying spirit, divine refreshment miraculously bridges the gap between the deadly discouragement of a flatlining heart and an electrically renewed life. Encouragement energizes, revitalizes, and even in a sense, resurrectizes, if that's a word. So, Let's spend the rest of our time comparing six common thoughts, feelings, and actions of a discouraged heart with the six fruits that Paul says come from an encouraged heart. What might we expect a discouraged heart to think, to feel, or to do? Well, first, isolation. A discouraged heart may feel isolated from God and from God's people. You might start to think that God has abandoned you. You may act this out by beginning to further isolate yourself from God, from God's word, from God's people. Perhaps like me, you have felt isolated this past year. Most of us have experienced new levels of isolation we never thought possible. We've tasted the bitterness of loneliness. And we know now more than ever that we are made for relationship with God and other humans. No matter how you slice it, isolation is not good But what is the most immediate response and result Paul expects to see after a discouraged heart is encouraged? Relational connectedness. Look with me again at verses one and two. Paul says, I want you to know just how great I struggle for you, for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit Together in love. Seeing God's transformative grace in Paul's life as he greatly struggles on their behalf to encourage them, it magnetically knits his heart to theirs in love. In other words, there is a profoundly intricate relational interwovenness that takes place between believers when they encourage one another. As God intertwines his divine work between different Christians, the tapestry of our very hearts become tangled in the most beautiful and sometimes messy of ways. Are you tired of shallow relationships? Do you long to make new friends? Do you want to forge deeper relationships with others? Be a grumbler. It works every time. No, be an encourager. Be an encourager. God uses the gift of encouragement, divine refreshment, to knit hearts together. Now I will say it is wonderfully true that the wounds of a friend are faithful and the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. But may we all be the kind of people who boldly exhort our friends and be the kind of people who give and receive encouragement regularly. A discouraged heart might feel overwhelmed by an oppressive sense of loneliness, but an encouraged heart treasures Jesus by pursuing relationships with other Christians. In addition to a sense of isolation, what else might a discouraged heart think, feel, or act? Abandonment. A discouraged heart often thinks it has been abandoned by God or abandoned by God's people. This idea takes root in our feelings when we have a lack of sweetness in tasting Jesus' goodness. Or when the taste of God's kindness grows faint. Or when the thought of another believer actually tastes kind of sour and bitter because of conflict. Or worse, when we start to feel numb or cold towards the things of God, then we we tragically start to abandon the very means God has provided to encourage us. We abandon his word. We abandon fellowship with other believers. We abandon corporate worship, Sunday gatherings. And so on. This is a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of abandonment. But Paul says that an encouraged heart starts to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Now this assurance specifically relates to a true understanding of God. Such that we have renewed convictions about who he is, what he's like, what he's done. And what better way to fight our fear of abandonment than with renewed confidence in God's character and God's work. That is rich indeed. A discouraged heart might wrestle with a sense of abandonment, but an encouraged heart treasures Jesus by finding renewed assurance in the reality that God is who he says he is. He will do what he promises, and that through Jesus, by his Spirit, he really is with us now and forever. What else might a discouraged heart tend to think and feel? Third, forgetfulness. A discouraged heart often struggles with forgetfulness. It miscalculates the indescribable beauty and incalculable worth of King Jesus. The radiant splendor of Jesus' death and life and resurrection starts to fade from our memory. And ever so swiftly, we begin to forget. We forget God's providential blessing in all of our joys and victories. We forget God's empathetic understanding of all of our sorrows and the crosses we bear. And then we start to neglect the wisdom and knowledge that comes from God alone. But, Paul says that an encouraged heart starts to grasp the treasure trove of wisdom And knowledge in King Jesus. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That your heart would be encouraged. Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery. Which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One simply cannot have and cannot find treasures of divine wisdom apart from Jesus. All such treasures reside in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus, we find all we need to come to know God and to enjoy him forever. We should not and we must not forget this precious truth. But we often do in the way we live our lives. And so a discouraged heart will need to fight vigilantly against forgetfulness. But an encouraged heart can prize Jesus as it rediscovers the bountiful treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Jesus. Jesus really is the perfect living, wrath-taking, death-slaying, sin-conquering, righteousness-bestowing, salvation-bringing, spirit-gifting, all-satisfying lover of our souls. What else does a discouraged heart need? He needs Jesus. We need Jesus. But we still wrestle with other things when we're discouraged. What else commonly plagues a discouraged heart? Fourth, instability or uncertainty. A discouraged heart is more prone to move away from good theology. Whether by beginning to subtly doubt that God is as he says he is, or to slowly but overtly believing things about God that simply are not quite true. Or even worse, by beginning to challenge or reject essential truths. Bad theology is destabilizing and possibly and probably and likely leads to a sense of uncertainty. Perhaps regarding your assurance of salvation or regarding an assurance of God's providential kindness. But Paul says that an encouraged heart holds fast to truth avoiding the temptations and pitfalls that come when people declare and present false teachings. Paul says an encouraged heart has built a firm foundation on Christ and his truth. I want you to know how great a struggle I have, that your heart would be encouraged to be knit together in love and treasure the riches that are in Christ. And I say this, verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible lies. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul marvels that one of the fruits of encouragement is often a firm or a firmer faith in Jesus. A discouraged heart, needs to beware the deadly plague of skepticism and unbelief. But an encouraged heart treasures Jesus as it recommits to the rock-solid foundation of truth found in God's faithful Word. God the Father, through Jesus, by His Spirit, really is the giver of faith, the refiner of faith, the encourager of faith, the sustainer and finisher Of faith. This is good news and this makes encouragement important. What else can have a powerful grip on the person who wrestles with discouragement? Fifth, slowness. A sense of barely limping along, barely getting by, barely holding on, or worse, a gradual crumbling that leads to grumbling. Maybe you barely have a sense of your own progress in sanctification or a dim sense regarding any prospects of a bright future in Christ. But Paul has confidence that an encouraged heart should be able to increasingly walk steadily in Christ. Paul says in verse 6, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. According to Paul, to walk in Jesus looks like being rooted being built up in Jesus, being established in the faith, and abounding in thanksgiving, precisely the kind of actions that boldly speak to the reality of Christ's supremacy. He is the supreme sustainer, the supreme builder, the supreme protector, and the supreme giver of thanksgiving. When your heart is discouraged, you might need to wrestle against frustrations or concerns about the slowness of change in your thoughts, in your feelings, in your actions. Yet when your heart is encouraged, you are empowered by God's grace to treasure Jesus more deeply as you personally experience the transformative grace of God afresh. And as you see God powerfully and truly and patiently and timely work in your heart, you'll probably see him work in the hearts of others as well. Finally, we've come to what is perhaps the most deadly poison that can creep into a discouraged heart six is discontentment dissatisfaction a rogue thought that god is worse than not good that he actually does wrong that god is at fault for all that is hard or wrong in our lives or that certain people are at fault for our woes As discontentment clouds our minds, we may begin to think that God no longer cares about us, that he no longer cares about keeping his promises, that he no longer is trustworthy. We might develop a sense of entitlement, that we are masters of our own destiny, and that all of the good in our lives is entirely due to me, myself, and I. As discontentment warps our affections, we might begin to feel bitter. Bitter about all that we have done in response to God's grace in Jesus. We may begin to feel regretful that we've spent time in God's word. What a waste of time. Why would we waste time in an ancient book that's full of gibberish and hard commands? We might regret that we prioritize time with God's people. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Or that we've invested so much into such a terrible thing. A relationship that soured. Or an institution we no longer appreciate. The church is awful. As discontentment overflows into our actions, we might begin to lash out at God, grumbling about all things, small and large, especially as it relates to our circumstances. We may begin to carry a freight train of accusations within our unhappy hearts. But, Paul climatically declares that an encouraged heart can and must fight against these things. Against these temptations towards discouragement. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, walk in Him and abound in thanksgiving. An encouraged heart can actually rejoice in God's divine work even and especially in the midst of hard circumstances. An encouraged heart treasures Jesus through the kind of joy that only comes from God. Next week, we'll take a much closer look at the relationship between Thanksgiving and encouragement. So we'll get the full dosage of that next Sunday. Well, we've, we've covered a lot. Let me summarize. Discouragement is not a disease to be eradicated, but it is an opportunity to be stewarded. God is kind to encourage our hearts as we see others treasure Jesus. And then, once a heart is encouraged, it can better fight different temptations, the temptation of isolation, the temptation of forgetfulness, the temptation of instability, the temptation of slow growth, the temptation of discontentment. We fight these things as we treasure Jesus. Jesus is the comforter who has given us full assurance of the fulfillment of his promises. There are unsearchable riches in Christ. We have a firm foundation of trusting in Christ. And Jesus has truly won a victory over Satan, over sin, over suffering and death. In God's providential wisdom, real encouragement serves as the primer for a variety of thoughts, feelings, and actions that then demonstrate our delight in Jesus. We can truly say, an encouraged heart treasures Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I trust this has been another refreshing reflection on encouragement. It's been good for my own soul to think more deeply about the way God works in and through encouragement. And as a result, I am more convinced than ever that most of us probably have a deficiency in divine refreshment. So... May God give us all eyes to see the specific personal ways he is at work in human hearts as they increasingly prize King Jesus. And as a result, may the God of encouragement spread more encouragement in our midst like wildfire. Let's pray towards that end. Father, thank you for your word for the gift of Christ, for the gift of your word, for the gift of your spirit at work in your people. And we pray you would divinely refresh us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.